0: Oh hi, Tim Leeson here I, am, I had a comment on a previous episode of the podcast From someone who I don't know Who pointed out that I went through the whole episode of the podcast without saying my name um, So, I'll try not to do that My name's Tim, Tim Leeson um, I just walked out of my house To come to this little park Where I often record this business and walked past a boy, a little lad, uh, who must have been maybe, I don't know, 10 years old, with a Father Christmas cuddly toy. It's probably about three quarters the size of himself that he was angrily flinging against the wall, (laughs) repeatedly. So I don't know. Is that okay? Should I have intervened? (laughs) I hope he's okay. Um, If you listen carefully, you might hear the distant sound of the funfair. Colchester seems to get the same funfair reappear just around the corner from my house every half hour. Um, In previous places that I've lived, funfairs arrive, um, stay for a couple of weeks, maybe once a year. But these guys seem to be here more often than they're not. And I hate them. Um, I don't... Well, mm, I I, I actually do hate them. It's just really noisy and obnoxious. Um, And I'm trying to sleep. I'm old. Um, Anyway, uh, so here we are. Um, I am recording this intro before I record the actual conversation with this month's guest. Mirta Peters um, because the time was tight uh, I no longer have the freedom and flexibility of working from home which means I need to do these really on weekends um, and this weekend just a few short days before this goes live was the only time that Myrta and I could uh, meet that worked for both of us um, and yeah, didn't leave it much time. So I'm recording this before I record the conversation. So normally I would say something like, um, Mirta was great to chat to. I loved having her on the show. What an interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I'm sure all of that will be true, but I can't vouch for it yet because I haven't done it yet. Um, so yeah. So instead of saying how great the conversation was, I will tell you that I'm confident the conversation will be a good one. Um, Myrta is somebody who I haven't met. In fact, Mirta lives on the other side of the world in Australia. But a mutual friend, Cassie, introduced us. Um, I met up with Cassie a few weeks ago at the time of recording um, in London. She's been living in Portugal for a while and we had a coffee together. And she mentioned that she had a friend who she thought might be an interesting guest for the podcast. And I get anxious when people say that because sometimes that's followed by um a description of somebody who <laughs> would not would not be interesting for the podcast, and then I have to kind of awkwardly decide how I rebuff the offer, but in this case, Cassie described meota and what she does, and um I should have known better than to doubt uh my friend because. What Myrta does is super interesting, super relevant to the themes of God or whatever, and super relevant to my life, which uh, recently, since the last episode that I recorded, has become the life of a full-time hospital chaplain. Myrta is a doula, um, and traditionally when people think about doulas, they think about uh, childbirth, people who kind of guide you through the process of childbirth and are are there throughout it. I guess maybe similar to a midwife. I'm not quite sure what the difference is between a doula and a midwife, but I guess maybe that'll come up in the conversation. Um, But what is really interesting about Myrta is that yes, she is your traditional doula, but she's also um, an end-of-life doula. So... She does what doulas do for people during childbirth for people who are facing death. So essentially she guides people through the process of dying. Um, Which um, I've been having to think about a lot recently because being a hospital chaplain um, means that I spend quite a lot of time with people who are dying um and their families i uh earlier this week at the time of recording um was in a hospital room with a guy who had died uh and that was my first experience of that never seen a dead body before um and actually it wasn't i was i was nervous about it um so i went up onto the ward and asked to see this patient and the nurse on the ward told me that the patient had died that his family were in with him and that I could pop in and see them and what I wanted to say was no I'm, I'm too scared to do that um, I'll ask one of the others the other chaplains to do it but obviously that wouldn't have been tremendously professional um, so I said that's fine and smiled and went through and spoke to the family for a little while and I was nervous but actually it wasn't traumatic uh, at all it was very peaceful and the family were very lovely obviously very sad Um, But it wasn't a horrible, disturbing, unsettling thing. But anyway, the point is, in my job, um, I have to think a lot about death, more than I am used to. And even though so far, a few weeks in, my experiences of dying people, and people who have died, have all been quite peaceful. It's still something which I think is going to take me a while to get used to. Because I think in our society here in the West, we hide death. We seal it behind closed doors and pretend that it doesn't happen. Um, Particularly those of us who are, you know, hopefully all being well, still a long way away from having to face our own mortality. I think society, well, we've become very scared of death, haven't we? Even though it's something that we all face. Um, and like I say, there was a time when people would die in their homes with friends and family around them, but increasingly people are kind of ferried off into hospitals behind closed doors to die. And what's really sad, something that I do find slightly disturbing about working for the hospital, is that lots of people end up dying alone, Um, which is... I can't imagine anything sadder, really than having to die alone. Um, So, in theory, this is where chaplaincy come in, and the hospital also have a brilliant team of volunteers who spend time with people who are dying. Um, But it's also where people like Myrta come in, who can talk to dying people, but also their families and their relatives, and help people to prepare for that process, and to make it a little bit less scary. Um, Because it shouldn't be scary, necessarily. Um, it's something that every single one of us without fail uh, will experience Um, and actually one of the things which I am beginning to learn at the hospital is that generally it's not as scary or as traumatic as movies might make you think and that most people when they die die quite peacefully anyway um, that's that uh i am gonna stop talking i'm gonna now jump forward into the future to tomorrow which when you listen to this if you listen to it on the day that it came out is last sunday don't worry about it i've confused myself Um i'm gonna wh- what i'm trying to say is i'm gonna hand over to my conversation with myrta i hope you enjoy it i hope i enjoy it uh i hope myrta enjoys it um and i will see you guys on the other side peace out
1: two big walks with the dog um two times exercise wow and very impressive i know it wasn't planned but it just happened um and did lots of packing so um Oh,
0: yeah, of course. Because you are um, you're currently in Australia and soon to be moving to Portugal. Is that right?
1: That's correct.
0: That's exciting. You, uh, your house looks, it doesn't look like the house of somebody who's in the middle of an international move. It looks really nice and tidy and well presented. Yeah.
1: <laughs> is that I just the, the angle? Real... <laughs> No, actually, there is things that I'm not going to pack until the final week because I don't want the place to feel really bare for the okay. last two weeks. Um, so, you know, all the pretty things are still out, uh, but yeah. all the unnecessary stuff is packed. So,
0: Okay, okay, cool. That's yeah. a good call. Well, I'm glad the pretty stuff is still out. It makes it a lovely yes. conversation to have. You've got lovely pl- potted plants and light and stuff behind you, whereas I've exactly. just got like a slightly abstract cream colored void um I so I'm in the process of trying to buy a house at the moment which is proving to be a little bit of a nightmare and so I very over enthusiastically packed up my bookshelf that used to sit here behind me so I used to have a lovely display here of books and other little decorative things um but yeah now it's just a bit of an abstract background so I'm glad that yours is nicer than mine so people who are watching I'm making up your side of the screen yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they can they can listen to my side of the screen, but all, all the views will be on your side of the screen. Oh uh, yeah,
1: I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um tell me a bit. So um you you've been in Australia now for how long, remind me?
1: Um five and a half years. May okay. twenty sixteen.
0: Uh, okay. I
1: moved here and prior to that move I was living in the UK, but I'm originally okay. from the Netherlands. I'm Dutch.
0: Right, right. So you've moved around a lot. So you grew up in the Netherlands. I Is that right? Yeah. And then moved to the UK as an adult?
1: Yes. I just graduated from university. I was very unexperienced and my English was... You know, I spoke English, but it's different when you move to a place. Yeah. Um And you suddenly have to use all kinds of words that are pretty much non-existent in your vocabulary. So yeah, <laughs> it yeah, was... Yeah. Um, it was really interesting, but also amazing because that's how you learn, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. this deep dive. Um, that's what it felt like to me. It's this deep Absolutely. dive of, um, yeah, language, culture, big change, um, moving from, yeah, Holland to um, England. Yeah. And you would think it's maybe not that big of a change because it's, a, you know, back then it was... It, it was a European, well, well it's right. still European, yeah. obviously, but, um, yeah, um, yeah, but it, no, I can you know, relate it to it that. We, I,
0: I, so I, uh, moved around a lot growing up as well. I was born in Belgium and then moved to France, America, back yeah. to France and exactly what you've just described, especially with the moves to France, the move from America to France. I found that living in America, I'd lost all of my French just completely mm-hmm. gone I wouldn't have said that I spoke French at all and then moving back to France it was all there in my subconscious it just needed a kind of couple of months to uh, to kind of just immerse yourself in the language for it yeah. to kind of start coming back and I find the same thing happens now that if I try to speak French now like off the cuff it's super rusty and you know it takes me a long time to remember certain words and that kind of stuff but if I go to visit French-speaking family or friends and I'm there for a few days it takes just a few days before it all kind of starts coming back. And it's uh definitely the, the best way to learn a language is to immerse yourself in it. Yeah.
1: No doubt. And isn't it beautiful to know that you spoke that language once and now you think, I'm not so sure about it anymore. But as soon as you start practicing, it just all comes back again. I yeah. think that's so yeah.
0: cool. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It makes me wonder how what else is locked up in my brain that I like, I don't realize mm, exactly. There. Like um yeah, what was the name of that terrible movie? Uh, Limitless, was it? Something like that, where they invent like a pill that allows you to use your whole brain rather oh, than just 10 time. Oh, name Bradley Cooper. Is that, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that rings yeah, a bell. It's yeah, It's a terrible it wasn't a very film, good movie.
1: Indeed. But yeah, yeah but a cool concept.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, actually, I'm not sure I would be up for it. <laughs> I was going to say it would be fun, but my worry is that the 90% of my brain that I'm not using is like, in a permanent state of being terrified or like <laughs> it's all stuff that I'm like trying not to think about
1: yeah of course of course I don't It'd want to dangerous. unrepress that yeah yeah
0: yeah and yeah. Um, so you you said you moved to the UK just after having studied is that right
1: yeah I so you um, went to uni graduated from Holland. yeah graduated from uni in 2011 my master's then I went traveling for five months and after that I just moved. Yeah. Okay. And what did you study? I studied, um, pedagogical sciences. So everything that has to do with bringing up children. Um, and then my master's was socialization, education and youth policy with a focus on prevention. Yeah. Okay. um, it was awesome. It was everything from how do you deal with kids who just hang about on the street with no purpose mm-hmm. to policy writing for government um, how do you um, engage with young people? How do you um, how do you make sure that they have a purpose uh, that they feel at home mm-hmm. in the community? Um, and then obviously a big part of it was troubled teenagers. Um, yeah. but there was, a um, a lot of knowledge was drawn from positive psychology. So they did okay. try to give a positive spin on it, but, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's,
0: it's really interesting because your studies are all about young people and children But actually, the stuff that we're going to be talking about today on this podcast is, I guess, usually kind of associated with the other end of life, with kind of old age and kind of towards the end of life. So, um, well, I I was going to say, how did you get from one thing to the other? But maybe we should say what the other is. So do you Mm. want to talk a little bit about what it is that you do
1: um, now? I'd love to. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I am now an end of life doula. And for those people who have never heard of a doula, it's a professional person who supports people in uh, practical, emotional, and spiritual ways when they die. And um, it's beautiful that more and more people are finding out about it because there's so much to the end of life that we do not realize. And that is likely because people are scared of it. There's a huge yeah. taboo on, on, on the topic of death and dying. And um, as doulas, we try to break the taboos. We try to, well, our aim is to educate people on their options. Mm -hmm. And yes, we work with people at the end of their lives. So when they've, for example, had a terminal diagnosis, but we also can work with people who are just planning the end of their lives. So they haven't had a diagnosis of any kind, but they would like some support um, with the planning of it. Um, So that's an option too. Or you work with the family who are caring for someone who's dying um mm-hmm. so each case is very unique
0: yeah I can imagine yeah 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 so what what made you how did you go from studying <laughs> you know children's education and youth policy and that kind of stuff to now a career which like I say is kind of at the end of people's lives mm. and guiding them through that
1: Um, I've always been very, very fascinated by death and dying and, um, let's say spiritual stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. but I suppose I grew up in an environment where people don't talk about it and, you know, it's considered strange to want to talk about it. Um, it's like, um, people wanted to protect me from it. Whereas I had a real hunger for knowledge and experience in that, in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, and because I, at one point thought, okay, well, maybe it is strange. I better not do anything with this. I'm just gonna, you know, tuck it away. Um, but it, the interest of fascination never left. And there was one point. So it's probably, let me think it was early 2019. Um, I had an astrology reading and I shared how specific behaviors kept coming back and specific interests. And I didn't know much about astrology uh, back in the day uh, and I still right. know very little, but I know the basics. Um, and it was in that moment that when I shared about death and dying space and my, and my interest in that, the um, it was almost as if that person who I was doing the reading with gave me a permission slip
0: mm-hmm.
1: and said, this is totally you, like it's written in the charts. Can you try to embrace this? What, what would it look like for you if you explore this and mm-hmm. from that day I was like oh okay so maybe there is something here maybe I'm not weird after all mm-hmm. um, yeah so then I started reading more um doing research about like the type of work I could do and then mm-hmm suddenly I stumbled upon doulas and i just felt so drawn to it It and still took me two years to sign up for the course because I thought, Oh, maybe I need to understand the beginning of life first. I'm first going to do the birth doula course. um, Oh, okay.
0: Which, so you've done that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm also a birth doula. Um, but I really want to focus on, on the end of life space. um, But um, the universe had, because I first booked this birth uh, doula course and then the pandemic happened and that was cancelled. And then I think the universe told me, okay, well, here's the end of life doula course for you. You can do it right now. So it's like, oh, okay. Okay, this is a sign for me. uh, And I'm going all in. So that's what I did. And when I when I attended the course, it honestly felt like I was coming home. I could have conversations with people about everything and anything death related. Um, Yeah. And immediately like really deep, really profound, um, just absolutely beautiful. And it was such comfort to know that there are so many beautiful people supporting people, supporting other people, um, at the end of their lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that, so your the, the timeline on what you've just described is all quite recent. Hey, eh? you're talking about really yeah. in the past kind of couple of years or yeah. so that you've kind of explored this and been on the course and that kind of thing. Yeah. So where, where are you with that process now? Have you finished the actual studying part of it or are you still doing the course? Where, where, where are you with it? I
1: have finished the course. Um, And I can, I can, I'm, I'm okay to, to practice. Um, I have my certificate. Um, Obviously there is always stuff that we need to keep doing to stay educated. Um, And also for me, when I am going to move to Portugal, that means different legislation. So I will have to familiarize myself with, What the law states in Portugal, for example, are you allowed to have a body in the home um, in Portugal once a person has died? And if yes, how long for? Because here in Australia, Mm -hmm. the different states, um, the state that I live in, it's allowed up to four days max. And then the next state, which is only an hour and a half away, it's six days. So...
0: Oh uh, wow! So that's four days that they're allowed to have the body in in their house.
1: Yeah, yeah obviously that seems like obviously it needs sorry, to be on, on. it needs to be catered for. Uh, you can't just have um, yeah. a dead body in the house. Um But right. yes, the, there was all yeah. kinds of rules and regulations about it, and the role of a doula is to know these different options. Let. the family know so that then they can make a decision about um what works best for them
0: yeah yeah so so part of your role will be knowing what the legislation and that kind of stuff is in portugal so you can kind of guide the families um and you've talked a little bit about kind of preparing people for death and working with families and that kind of stuff now uh, you you'll have to educate me here because I don't know much about doulas in terms of end of life or in terms of birth. But when I think of a birth doula, I think of something that's almost quite close to a midwife of somebody who's there during labor, you know, helping, helping the mother, um, you know, seeing the process all the way through from beginning to end. Is -hmm. that the same with the end of life? Will you be with people while they actually die kind of? and, and, And what, I guess, what role do you play in that context when you're when you're Mm. kind of sat with somebody kind of on their deathbed what 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 do you kind of do in that situation so
1: it's really um it's really the choice of whoever hires me so if that's the person who's dying and they would want my service all the way through then that's what we're going to do but if that person says hey i really need some help with navigating difficult family conversations about how I want my end of life to look. Mm. Um, We'll do that. But maybe once that's done, they don't require my service anymore. So as I mentioned before, it's so unique. Mm. Um, We really have to adapt to every situation and the different people who play an important role in that And Particularly working with you know the person uh, who is dying yeah. uh, or who's hired us because it's not always the person who's dying who hires doulas. Oh right, okay. Quite often it's a, it's it's a family member, okay. um, and often it's in a in a stressful situation. Someone has received a terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm um and suddenly there's all these things that need to be arranged and people don't know where to start Yeah, yeah. because there is so much information yeah. and it's really up to us to go okay well let's all take a breath yeah let's let's sit down and let's look at all the different options Let, let's see what's already been uh been planned by the person who is sick yeah. and is gonna die yeah.
0: it's re- it's really yeah. interesting i so um as as you know because we've spoken before i recently started a job as a hospital chaplain um just a uh, kind of couple of weeks ago um and in the past couple of weeks have had more dealings with death than ever in my life before <laughs> um i like i i i have now seen my first dead body and that's going to be something which i'm going to kind of have to get used to in work um and mm-hmm. will happen a lot and there will be It hasn't happened yet, but there definitely will be times when I'll be with the person while they die, um, you know, offering some kind of religious or spiritual comfort, whatever it is that they need. Um, And yeah, all of that is quite intense and quite scary. And I guess one of the reasons why it's so intense and scary is, and you've kind of already alluded to this, that death is something which we kind of don't talk about, don't acknowledge and in fact, talking about it is almost seen as a little bit like, what's wrong with you? Why do you want to talk about that? That's sad and dark. Um, and I would say increasingly in the West, it's something that's kind of done behind closed doors in institutions rather than at home. You know, they, that it wasn't too long ago that people would die at home with their family around them and that kind of thing. Whereas it feels like now people die in hospitals. And when I go to visit... Patients who are dying, they tend to be in a side room in a hospital that they've got to themselves, which is probably good rather than being on a ward surrounded by the Mm. noise and chaos of kind of other people. Um, but it also means that they're kind of by themselves, you know, that they're they're alone. And um I think probably quite a lot of people in our society do end up dying alone, um in a strange place. And I think what you're doing in terms of helping people to think about how they want to die is so important because I don't want to die alone. That's horrible. So yeah, I think what what am I trying to say? I guess what I'm trying to say is beginning to think about it, talk about it, prepare for it, be aware that it's going to happen to you at some point because it happens to everybody probably helps that whole process. Um, But for whatever reason, in our kind of society, we, we don't, we, like I say, it's all kind of, no, 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 let the doctors deal with that. Tucked away. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: So do you find, do you, I mean, in terms of like, even just when you tell people what you do, do you find that people kind of, how do people react to what you do is what I'm trying to say.
1: Get very varied. Yeah. Reactions um some people go oh my god this like what is this like really interested never heard of it but really want to know more Mm -hmm. and then there's people and you pick up on this immediately who it's almost as if they go into this yeah the word death has come up yeah end of life this is scary i don't want to go there and then you know i have an easy way to kind of turn the conversation around and not have the emphasis on what I do but make it about the other person yeah because there is no point in sharing what I do with people who rather not know Mm -hmm. like obviously I want everyone to know yeah but people want to know when they're ready and some people need a bit more time yeah 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 and that's all okay
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and i think like all of those reactions are quite understandable aren't they and i think in terms of myself that that what you just described as a kind of kind of reaction is probably my reaction you know that's my instinct and um so my first encounter with death in the hospital was uh was it earlier this week or end of last week i can't quite remember um but I had a patient on my list of people who wanted to see a chaplain. Um, so I went up to the ward to go and visit this patient and asked the nurse at the nurse station um, if I could pop in and see so-and-so. And she went, oh, he's actually just died. He, he just died a, a little while ago. And I went, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Obviously, we'll take him off the list in that case. And she said, oh, but his family's in with him now and they might appreciate you popping in. And like I say, my internal reaction was, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'll get someone else to do it. But I couldn't obviously say, no, thanks. I'm too scared. (laughs) So I had to go, okay, yeah, I'll do that and maintain a kind of peaceful composure. So I kind of put, you have to put on your PPE before you see any patient, you know, so gloves and an apron and all that kind of stuff. And so I used that little moment to kind of, okay, ready myself. I had my little book of kind of, Readings and that kind of stuff ready. So I found a few in case they wanted me Mm -hmm. to do something, you know, either religious or non-religious, but something a bit ceremonial, I guess. So I kind of took my time kind of getting ready for it and that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, popped my head kind of through the curtain and the family were all there. And actually the reality is that it was very peaceful um, and I didn't need to be scared of it at all um, because it was very sad. Obviously the family were very teary and upset, having just lost a loved one but it was a peaceful place and the guy died with his family around him, which obviously is awesome. Um, and it, it, it felt good. I felt I left after, well, yeah, no, it did feel good. That is the right thing to say, but not good in a kind of like, not happy, but good in a kind of sense of, yeah, it was meaningful. And he, he died in the best possible way. And that's the best thing that we can kind of hope for. But like I say, my, my, my initial response to being thrown in at the deep end was exactly what you've just described as I kind of, Oh no, that seems a little bit heavy. Um, but obviously you got to push through that when you're a hospital chaplain and hopefully that will become, I was going to
1: say, you've chosen a really interesting profession, um, in that sense, because like, it's inevitable for you to, um, see this on a, on a, on a regular basis, I would say.
0: Yeah yeah what do you and think?
1: how do you feel about that
0: well um I was really aware of that in the weeks leading up to me starting the new job you know so I had the I had the job interview and got offered the job and you know it was all very exciting and positive and whatever and I didn't really think about it and then there was I guess a couple of months between me being offered the job and me actually starting it and in those couple of months those kind of thoughts start to begin to kind of pop into my head of like oh shit I'm gonna have to like be with dead people that's quite scary um mm. but I had just finished reading this thing by um have you ever have you heard of Mark Manson have you come across him he wrote a book called the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah um yeah so I I follow him on Instagram and I I really like a lot of his stuff and he had written this thing about um I can't remember quite what the language he used was but something along the lines of how do you find meaning how do you find purpose in your life and that kind of thing and his line on it, which I really, really liked, was that too many people, when they reflect on that question, think about it in terms of what do I find fun? Um, what do I like doing? Okay, now how can I spend my life doing that? And he says, it's much more meaningful to ask yourself. I, I'm, I'm completely paraphrasing because um, I can't remember the exact language that he used, but essentially he he said it's much more meaningful to ask yourself, what are the challenges that you want to rise to? Basically, what are the what are the things that other people would find too scary to do, but you feel like you could possibly do that? Um what's the, you know, his whole kind of thing is that he swears a lot. That's kind of part of his kind of shtick, I think. Um, So he talks about what's the shit that you're willing to deal with that nobody (laughs) else is willing to deal with. Um, And so with the hospital chaplaincy job, there's two sides of it. There's a side of it, which I'm really actually quite confident in, which is making time for people who are, you know, in a difficult place, who are scared, you know, and being reassuring and, sitting with people and making time for them. That's what I spent my whole career doing as a youth worker and um, mm-hmm. as a youth and community chaplain later on. And that kind of stuff, that that's kind of what I do. And it's not to say that it's easy, but I know I can do it. But then there's the stuff which is new to me, which is all the stuff around death and dying, which is scary and I'm not confident in it. But it's stuff that I want to be good at. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's... There are challenges that come up in life, which ultimately I actually don't really give a shit about. And I kind of feel like if I didn't do this, what difference would it make to anybody's life? Do you know what I mean? But then there are challenges, which I think rising to this would be a really good thing to do. Um, And that's kind of part of my thinking with this job, that learning to not be so scared of death would be a really good thing to do. For myself as well as for anybody else. Um, So it does mean like I'm really pushing myself with this job, you know, like it's a it's a real new challenge and it's a new kind of challenge for me. But it feels like, okay, well, if I if if I'm going to climb a mountain, this is the one that I want to climb. This feels like a really good thing to do. So um, I think it's going to continue being quite scary and overwhelming for some time. But certainly the hope is that it will become less scary, less overwhelming. And the benefits of that are not just to the patients who I'm spending time with and their families, but also to myself and to the people around me, to my family, to my friends that gradually becoming less scared of death, I think will make me a more peaceful person a less anxious person. Um, So it's almost like, what's that thing that they talk about in CBT? I'll get the phrase slightly wrong. I want to say confrontation therapy, but that's not what it is. Anyway, it's a kind of thing where, you know, okay, say you're really scared of spiders. Let's go find some spiders. We're going to go and hang out with some spiders today because that's Mm -hmm. how you get over your fear. And there's an element of that with this job. Like I, I'm, I find death quite scary, not in a kind of, I think in the same way that most people find death quite scary. It's not like I kind of obsess about it or anything like that, but it's quite a scary thing, but I feel like, okay, well, let's go and spend some time with death then. and and learn to be less scared of it that's kind of my thinking that was a really waffly answer to your question but can you see where i'm coming from
1: well i can definitely see where you're coming from and i love it that you see how it's not just benefiting you exposing yourself to it Mm -hmm. but it will have an effect on the people who you support in the hospital as well as the people in your direct environment
0: yeah Yeah. Well, I mean, one of my um, favorite quotes is by a Russian uh, saint and mystic called Saint Cosmos. And he said, discover the spirit of peace for yourself and a thousand around you shall be saved. Discover the spirit Mm -hmm. of peace for yourself and a thousand around you shall be saved. And I think particularly in Christianity and probably in a lot of organized religion, we have this whole thing of, you know, oh, it's my, it's my duty to, to, you know, save people to be, whether whether you're talking about like in a kind of spiritual go to heaven when they die kind of a way, or just in terms of helping people by feeding the poor or whatever, we have this real kind of like, I have to work hard, you know, I have to be really anxiously work super hard to save everybody around me, because that's my Christian duty. But I really like that St. Cosmas quote, because it's saying, actually, the way that you save people, the way that you will save the most people around you is by discovering the spirit of peace for yourself. So that might mean confronting your fears and it might also mean developing a practice of meditation and mindfulness. It might mean slowing down. It might mean developing good self-care habits and that kind of thing, Yeah. which like I say, I think traditionally in religious conversations we've seen that kind of stuff as a little bit kind of like navel gazing, you know, what good is it really doing? But actually it's the best mm-hmm. thing that you can do, you know, because that's, that's how you help people by being a peaceful presence and a presence that's that's alive and connected and that kind of thing, rather than kind of you know wringing your hands anxiously, trying to do more, trying to work harder. Um, that's that's not really it for me.
1: Yeah, I I really resonate with that, and that comes back in the, in the doula work as well, because mm-hmm. so often people just want to be around someone who is not afraid for the feelings that come with death.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's it's offering them a, a space to show all the emotions. Mm-hmm. And everyone has different emotions, right? We all react differently to a situation like that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah.
1: it's so important that everyone can just do that without feeling weird about it. Like yeah. experience it full
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and just having somebody to validate you know that yeah you know what you're feeling is fine and normal and it's okay and i'm not scared of it and i'm not judging you because of it you know that's um it's really powerful yeah i wonder yeah. just now when i was talking about religion it made me wonder um i guess in your job similarly to mine you're not there to impose any kind of worldview any kind of ideas about what happens when you die that kind of thing but to support the person in whatever it is that they believe you know whether they're religious or not religious but yeah. um outside of your kind of professional interaction with the people who you're working with do you are you coming from a place of like Do do you have a kind of sense well what what do you believe about death is what i'm trying to say are you coming from a place of religious or spiritual kind of understanding of it? Or where do you stand on that stuff?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because um, I think that death is not just a physical thing that happens at the end of our lives. I believe that death happens all around us, all the time within ourselves as well.
0: Okay, Um, okay.
1: So death could look like, Um, losing a friendship death could look like losing a pet death could look like changing of seasons um, a new cycle of the moon and for me once I start to look at death in nature and Mm -hmm. more also in like a cyclical way it started to become um, much more part of my life yeah um, And I think for me, I don't necessarily come from a religious um, background in that sense, um, mm. but I do believe that um, that there is such a thing as reincarnation, past okay. lives, and I'm gonna okay. come back into something else. Uh, into someone else Um, and I like that belief for some reason that gives me um, a sense of peace Mm -hmm. and I also know that some of the stuff that I'm working through um, that you know stuff that's hard and challenging and difficult um, that maybe not all of that is mine maybe that's coming from past generation it's ancestral trauma Maybe it's from a past life, but I'm working through it now because I do not want to pass it on. I do not want this to go to a next soul.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's, um, Mm. I, I mean, I would, um, so, well, as you know, and as everybody who listens to this knows, I'm coming from a traditionally kind of Christian kind of point of view, um, but I don't really kind of know what I believe about the afterlife and that kind of thing. I'm kind of a little bit, you know, I feel like nobody really knows We're we're all kind of just guessing and we kind of have some ideas and that kind of thing. Um, But I do really like the concept of karma, which I think in a way is what you've just described. And I think karma is something that in the West we often misinterpret. You know, we hear people talking about it on TV and in movies and that kind of stuff. And they they interpret it as meaning like if you do a bad thing then a bad thing will happen to you because that's just how the universe balances itself out which is quite a crude i think misinterpretation of what i understand karma to be which is um the, the best the best analogy that i've heard for it which is also quite crude is if you're in a public swimming pool and you piss in the pool then you're making the pool worse for everybody else, including yourself. Mm-hmm. So you you end up swimming in a piston pool, just like everybody else. And that's kind of what karma is, that your actions have consequences, including for yourself. So if you are unkind to people, then you're putting unkindness out into the world and making the world slightly less kind, which impacts mm-hmm. the way you experience the world as well, because you've you've created, you've put out this kind of unkindness. So in that sense, it is kind of like, if you do bad, bad stuff will happen to you, but it's not kind of like some kind of divine retribution. It's just, well, you've put badness out there. Now there's badness in the air. And what you've just described in terms of dealing with stuff now, I kind of, I mean, I don't necessarily have a belief in reincarnation as such, but I'm completely on the same page as you in the sense that me dealing with my bad stuff now, or my tricky stuff or my anxieties, my traumas, you know, whatever mm-hmm. else it is. Um, is a way of making the swimming pool a little bit nicer for everybody to swim in, including myself. And maybe there's some kind of eternal dimension to that. Maybe that echoes through time after I die. Maybe there's a heaven where people go to, maybe there's a reincarnation, whatever, or maybe death is it. And that's the end. And there is no kind of sense of eternity, but whichever, whichever one of those things is true, by putting kindness into the world, by putting compassion into the world, whatever, you're creating a better world for everybody to live in, including yourself. Um, and I'd like to think that echoes through time in some way. So so I'm with you on that, definitely.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to use that uh, analogy about the pool.
0: i don't even know where i got that from but i think it's really good i think it i think somebody said it about covid i think it was it came up in covid and about wearing no that was it it was about um somebody had described having non-smoking sections in restaurants Mm -hmm. as having as basically being the equivalent of having a no pissing section in the pool (laughs) because it's like I mean it's, it's still there, it's still in yeah. the air. I can't remember where it came from, but I quite liked it, kind of as an analogy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a good one.
0: So will you so when you head over to Portugal, which is which is soon, right? We're talking about in a few weeks.
1: Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. So
0: at that point, I guess a lot of your time will be sent, like will you be setting up your business? Kind of will you be self employed as a doula, or is there a kind of a body that you'll belong to where pe- you people will kind of you'll get referrals to or how, how does that all work
1: yeah it's interesting actually uh because um looking at the end of life doula space and comparing it to the birth doulas the end of life doulas are now where the birth doulas were 25 years ago so it's all still quite new yeah, we are yeah. all se- self-employed And most of our clients come through word of mouth or a a Google search. Um, Right. Yeah. Um, In terms of business development in Portugal, um, I'm still looking at best ways. Um, Maybe I'm going to try to find... Um palliative care settings and see if they would like some help uh there yeah um yeah. I'm obviously gonna have to build a a little bit of a not a little bit I'm gonna have to build a new professional network there um but yeah. I could go to you know g p s um expert communities and I could you know the ideas I'm gonna put myself out there <laughs> um mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's interesting. And also in the meantime, whilst I'm doing that, I um I run circles and they're called dialogues. Die Okay. As in Oh uh, right. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, I'm with you.
1: Um and it's it's a circle where people come together to talk about death and dying. Um mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to do a little bit more face-to-face as well. Once I'm in Portugal, at the moment they're online. And they're just small, intimate groups. And it's really to break the taboo around it and to give people an opportunity to um, experience what it is to have a conversation about death and dying. And maybe, Mm. you know, getting out of the comfort zone. Um, yeah and I do that with the help of a game, actually, so it's quite fun um okay what's uh, the game? How does the, that work? Yeah, the game is called the Death deck, and it's basically okay. a card set and there's two types of cards there 's multiple choice questions, and there's open uh, open questions and basically <laughs> there's a theme. I talk a little bit about the theme. And then we play the game, so I literally shuffle the cards, and we pick random cards, and they have, as I said, multiple choice or open-ended questions about anything and everything that's got to do with death and dying. So, for example, what, what would you like to listen to when you can no longer speak? um and you are dying is it sounds of nature is it motivational speech uh, or Mm. audiobooks or is it your favorite music and it's really to get people thinking about what it is that they would like who they would like what do they like to smell what do they like to touch to feel like so it's really bringing in the senses and that's very Mm -hmm. important for my work like i find it so important that um we draw in the senses because there's also a sense of rich a sense <laughs> sense of ritual in that right yeah we yeah. listen to specific music because we have a feeling mm-hmm. with associated with that it's the same with smell um it brings up memories uh touch so for example uh is a bedding that you really don't like then we shouldn't yeah. have that anywhere near. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you like when someone massages your hand? Do you like it in general when it's firm, or do you like soft touch? Yeah. So there's all those kind yeah. of things, um, you know that that are going to be hugely important at the end of life. Because it's, you know, it's a very special time, and we want to make yeah. it as comfortable as possible. But if people don't know what type of stuff they can consider, and it's going to be really yeah. hard putting it all together on the stress. And by playing the game, um it's kind of like making it more accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's some really fun, it's- really fun cards in there as well. So it's not, you know, all super serious. Like there is, like we laugh a lot as well, which is, which is yeah. pretty good.
0: It's really cool. I actually, um, as you're describing it, I remember that I have done that. Um, I've been to two, I think they were called death cafes rather than dialogues, Um, but exactly the same format. So we sat on tables and we had this little deck of cards and you pick one at random and it asks you a question, sometimes quite pragmatic things about, you know, who would you like to leave your possessions to when you die? And sometimes quite kind of deeper, meaningful stuff about what you mm-hmm. believe happens after you die and that kind of thing. Um, and I went along to one of those because a friend of mine who was who is still a hospice chaplain uh, was organizing it. So I went kind of to support my friend. And again, went kind of feeling like, well, oh, this is going to be heavy, isn't it? Like it, we're just talking about death. It's called a death cafe. Like it's just, it feels like it's going to be really morbid. But actually going along to it was I left feeling much less anxious than i felt when i had arrived both in terms of you know in the moment just kind of general anxiety about meeting new people and that kind of stuff but also in terms of feeling slightly more peaceful about death maybe just 1% more peaceful about death but just having had the kind of conversation and it not being kind of a taboo thing just helped me to be a little bit less scared of it um and those kinds of questions which you've just described like i say 2 weeks into this new job um more aware than ever of just how important they are Mm -hmm. um because well like i'll give you an example i in in you know just a few days after having started my job i had been given a list of patients to go and see and went to go and see one particular patient and i had no no knowledge about this patient at all i didn't know anything about her apart from her name that that was it that's all i had so I went into her room and um said, hello, uh, whatever her name was. Um, are you all right? How are you getting on? And realized straight away, oh, she's completely non responsive. Um she I I think she might be aware that I'm here in the room, but I'm not gonna get any kind of response from her. I'm not gonna get any kind of, you know, even even a nod or of the head or anything like that. Because, essentially, because she's so close to death, she doesn't have the energy to do any of that stuff. And I really floundered. I really, like... Because I was not prepared for it at all. So I kind of... My my mouth kept on asking questions. And my brain kept saying, stop asking questions. She can't answer. (laughs) So I kept on going, like, are you all right? you being well looked after. (laughs) My brain was going, why are you asking that? It must be really frustrating for her. Um, So eventually, like... (laughs) you know, I didn't stay for very long and then eventually left and thought as I left, okay, I clearly need to be prepared for this because this is going to be a thing that I'm going to have to face a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a good lesson learned because now I have a collection of things to read to people, for example. So I have some religious stuff if they're not say that they're religious, but if they're not religious and I have poems and that kind of thing, you know, uh, Whatever I wanted, lowly as a cloud, you know, yeah. n- nice kind of peaceful poems, um which I think I'd find comforting in that position. And indeed, over the past couple of weeks, I've been in that situation quite a lot now, but I feel slightly more prepared and I'll talk to them a little bit and say it's a lovely day outside and um you know here's what's happening at the moment in the news and that kind of stuff and anyway i've just got a couple of little things to read to you i don't know if you can hear me or not but if you can i hope that you find them peaceful then i'll read them a poem or whatever it is but how much easier would my job be if we had all of that information that you've just asked mm-hmm. you know if somebody had th- like thought before not even that i, I don't want to put it on the patient but if we had a system which thought about this stuff before so that when I come in as a chaplain, or when visitors come in, or even when doctors and nurses come in, we have, you know, at the moment, it tells us they're Church of England or whatever, sometimes, but to have a thing that actually tells us this is what they've said they'd like to listen to. This is the kind of materials they've said that they found soothing, you know, in terms of bed sheets and that kind of stuff. Um, this is the kind of belief system that they have. And, you know, if you're going to read to them, maybe they'd appreciate these verses from the Quran or whatever it is, you know, that kind of stuff, just like haven't had those, that thought process, that dialogue before you're actually there in bed and don't have the power to have that dialogue anymore. Yeah. If we could get that system in place, that would make dying so much better for everybody, wouldn't it? Um, So I think it's awesome.
1: About it. In comparing it to the birth space pregnant women they um they make a birth plan yeah so yeah you know it's kind of it's kind of similar look who's we here we
0: have a dog in short. hello ah. he's really non he or she it's a he he seems really nonplussed yeah. about being on youtube What's his oh, name? He's
1: so casual. He's so casual about it. <laughs> um, his his name is Cliff.
0: Cliff. Oh, Cliff's a good yeah. boy. Is Cliff coming with you oh, to he's Portugal? Such a good boy.
1: No, he's not. Oh miss no, him so much. that's
0: so sad. Oh, Cliff. I
1: know. So I'm um, really soaking up every every moment. Yeah. I have with him.
0: How old is Cliff?
1: He's 15 months.
0: Oh wow! So he's really young. So he's. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that because he's not, he's not small, is he? He's a big boy.
1: Um, he's, he comes to about, um, knee height.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, it must've just yeah. been the angle then. He's a he's like medium
1: then. size. Well, is he medium size? He's probably a little bit bigger than medium size, Okay, uh, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna grow that much more.
0: Um, oh. Well, if you yeah, are listening to this podcast, On one of the podcasting platforms rather than watching it on youtube you've just missed a lovely interaction with a dog (laughs) so check out the youtube page if you want to see cliff
1: (laughs) yeah so actually this is interesting because this has been on my mind a lot Um, i was never a dog person right i was never really an animal person Mm -hmm. Um, and then suddenly i had a pup (laughs) and it completely changed How I view the world. Right. Because they have such a calming presence. Yes. And not only their presence, but they have that effect. Like Cliff has that effect on me as well. And I am just thinking what it would be like to have this is maybe going to sound so odd, but what would it be like if there are special, specially trained dogs? to be around people who are dying because like they are the best space holders. They can hold space like no one else.
0: That's amazing. I would love that. That would be so cool. In fact, when you said just now, one of your questions is what, what material would you like to have on you? You know, what material (laughs) do you find soothing? A dog (laughs) lying on the bed. I can't think of anything better, you know, like that would be, well, you know, let's say a well behaved dog, not a dog that's yes, gonna
1: of course, of piss course. on the bed or whatever. <laughs> but like, I like a, nudge with the toys all the time. Yeah, it's that's like, right. That's on, right. Have like me. squeaky
0: toys while you're trying to rest. <laughs> but a good boy like Cliff, that would be amazing. And yeah, definitely. There is definitely something about animals, I think, that like yeah. I've got I've got a couple of cats who one of them is just about in shot if i angle it down you might just be able to see a little lump there sleeping uh, in the corridor, yeah. Yeah. um who certainly at times can drive me nuts because they're you know pets are quite demanding but mm-hmm. they're also i mean like say this past year which actually on you know you talk about death being around all the time this past year with covid and stuff has represented a kind of death i think for a lot of people even people mm-hmm. who haven't lost loved ones to COVID, but have lost uh, a lifestyle, um, uh, have lost their comfort, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, ha- have have faced kind of li- little deaths in their own lives in different ways. Um, and that's certainly true for me as well. I found the past year really, really hard. But having the cats around, having a little bit of kind of company, even if it's not company. human company, um has just made it all a little bit more bearable you know and they're cute and they make Mm -hmm. me laugh and when they sit on your lap and purr that really I mean I think it's proven isn't it I think there's research that shows that it lowers your blood rate and that your blood pressure sorry and that kind of thing um so yeah I'm with you I think dogs for the dying let's make it happen
1: dogs for the dying I like that yeah that sounds
0: good yeah you should move to the UK rather than Portugal and we could set that up (laughs) I've well, got an in at the, the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> but genuinely, yeah. I think that's so cool. That'd be such a great idea. Because
1: yeah.
0: everyone loves dogs, yeah. don't they?
1: i yeah. Well, most people do indeed.
0: And people who and don't even if there's dogs, like the odd
1: one out, like me, like yeah. they'll be a convert within no time because if I can change my mind, anyone. That's
0: right. That's <laughs> right. And if people who really, really absolutely don't love dogs, they don't deserve to have a peaceful death. (laughs) I I didn't mean that. (laughs) I'd like to retract that that,
1: that, If any of my um, colleagues
0: at the hospital are listening, can I be clear (laughs) that I did not mean that?
1: (laughs) Any potential patients? (laughs) <laughs> oh you just gave a whole new meaning to the karma concept
0: <laughs> yeah 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 that's right yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so fun
0: um mirta this has been a really great conversation i'm i'm really aware i said i'd keep you for an hour and obviously you're getting into your evening i don't want to take your whole evening but i just wondered like just as we're kind of drawing the conversation to a close you've obviously been studying and you've learned a lot and you've learned a lot about the process of death and dying and that kind of thing and lots of people who are listening to this maybe most people who are listening to this will feel scared of that stuff and I just wonder like are there what have you learned in the past couple of years to help you feel more peaceful and less scared about the end of life is there anything that you can say to people who are listening that has helped you with your own kind of yeah, your own kind of dealing with mortality.
1: Hmm. So that's um, a huge question that I've just dropped. That is a really, b- really big question. And we could fill a full <laughs> podcast with that, I, I think. <laughs> um, but I think the main elements for me are to be really curious about it. Like it it mm. is going to happen.
0: Yeah, It
1: is going to happen no matter what. So... I know that, and how can I then make the experience, plan for the experience to be my own? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a plan. Things can change. Things might not work out in the moment. But familiarizing yourself with options, talking about it, like letting people know how you feel about things, and even just having, like, basic conversations about death and dying, um, I think you'll find that there is a lot of, um, a lot of connection will come from those conversations because so many people feel the same way. Mm. Right. And when we see something, experience something that resonates, that means that we connect with one another. Yeah. And when we connect with one another, we take away a little bit of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And because fear is such a big thing, um, but we mustn't forget that, you know, excitement is the exact same feeling. Mm -hmm. Fear and excitement are the same feeling. I'm not saying get, get super excited about death because, you know, death is hard and it can also be really hard work. And afterwards it's hard you know, when you're grieving someone's death. So I'm not saying get excited, but I'm saying explore with a sense of curiosity and maybe you do get a little bit excited about knowing what type of music you want to hear or Mm -hmm. knowing what, you know, um, smells make you feel good. Like how cool is it that you can plan that? How cool is that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's awesome that's cool but yeah. I think the advice should be get yourself a death doula so you can start having someone to talk about with this I kind didn't
1: want to because... say it like that, but I'm glad you did
0: well i'm <laughs> I'm saying it for you because <laughs> genu- <laughs> like honestly genuinely this like talking to you in this conversation generally my experience over the past couple of weeks working in the hospital and stuff has made me think you know about my own mortality and that I'd like to I'd like to be prepared for it when it comes. Yeah. Um, and like you say, potentially there are certain, some people die in ways that you can't be prepared for, but actually for the most part you can. Um, and yeah, I'd love to kind of talk to a death doula and to begin to work through those kinds of questions and that kind of thing. So I think- That's it'd be awesome.
1: Like you're too- never too young to be, to begin that process because yeah. we don't know when yeah. it's going to happen in in many cases, right? And even yeah, if we get a, yeah. a, a period, if the doctor tells us, okay, you have six or 12 months left, which they don't often do anymore, I, I believe, um, mm-hmm. they're, they're a little bit hesitant with giving specific timeframes. Right. Because <laughs> so often they're wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And then people get left with extra time and they don't know what to do with the extra time because they were prepared to already be dead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also,
1: that's a whole yeah. other conversation. Um, i probably yeah. not the nicest wrap up, <laughs> but, <laughs> but definitely, yeah, be curious and, and start to think about rituals that you want to bring into that period of, uh, into that experience. Yeah. yeah Yeah,
0: absolutely i i would also just chuck in my own little personal recommendation which is I, i was given a book which i found you might have read it it's called with the end in mind um and it's written by a palliative care nurse i think her name is Catherine mannix or maddox or something i'll find out and put a link in the show notes um but she talks about actually what happens when people die, like what you can yeah. expect to experience yeah. and that kind of stuff, which sounds scary. But actually, it's the opposite. I found it really soothing, really reassuring that actually it's not as scary a process as you might think that it is. And um, I'd, I would really recommend that for anybody who's kind of yeah, scared about a this one. kind of stuff. It's a great it's book. It's a good
1: one. Because once we know what is to come in terms of physical symptoms, right, we yeah. we yeah. are better prepared.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Oh, brilliant. Mirta, thank you so much. We've hit just the the one hour mark. Um, So that's that's perfect and really, really interesting and meaningful conversation. So thank you for making the time for me all the way over on the other side of the world. I really do
1: appreciate it. Well, thank you too. This was awesome. Really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I hope the listeners um, got something from it as well
0: absolutely i'm sure they will and i'll put a link to your website in the show notes um as well as so people can, can look at that for themselves
1: yeah.
0: um and presumably your contact details are there so if somebody wanted to reach out and talk to you about yep. this kind of stuff they could do that yeah
1: 100 percent. and there's not there are not specific details on the services because as i mentioned everything is so unique so you know, would we, I would always have an initial conversation with you first before we move into any kind of direction. So it's all really, yeah. you know, easygoing and, and we'll see what is needed. Great. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate thank it. you too. Um, yeah. Enjoy the rest of your Australian evening while I just start my English day.
1: Yeah. Beautiful.
0: Was that okay? I don't know because as I'm recording this, that conversation you just listened to hasn't happened yet. So I hope it was good. I hope you liked it. I hope I liked it. I hope Mita liked it. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, if you did like it, um, I'd be really grateful if you could take 30 seconds on whatever platform you're using, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, whatever, and let me know that you liked it by giving it a thumbs up a like a subscribe a review whatever it is that you're able to do uh, on your platform um it's not just for my ego it is partly for my ego but not just for my ego it it, it really helps the podcast and um, because it helps to feed the internet algorithms that we are slaves to in the 21st century and it just means that those algorithms will kind of push my podcast under more people's noses um, and bring it to a larger audience. So I would genuinely be really grateful if you could take a minute to like, review, subscribe, thumbs up, stars, whatever it is, however it works on your platform, um, that would really help me out. Um, If you would like to find out a little bit more about Myrta and her work, then check out her website, fullcircledoula.org. That's fullcircle, D-O-U-L-A dot org, um, which has some more information about the kind of stuff that she does, um, as well as all the usual stuff that you would find on a website about how to get in touch and use her services and that kind of thing. Do check it out. Um, Mirza sent me the link earlier today as I'm recording this, um, and I was impressed by how good looking and professional the website is. Um, so do do check it out. Um, I think that's all from me for this month. I haven't got a guest lined up yet for the 1st of November episode, but hopefully I will between now and then. Um, I will do my best to. I'll also try to put out a mini uh, halfway through the month. Um, and don't forget, there's also Joy Story, the podcast that I do with Dan Mills DeBell, um, which isn't on YouTube, but is on all of the classic podcasting platforms um, if you just search for Joy Story you'll find us there uh, that usually comes out usually comes out we've only done two episodes the plan is for that to come out on the first Monday of every month so not too long after this comes out um, good yeah that's all that's all from me um, I am going to go home have a cup of tea have a biscuit enjoy the rest of my Saturday Uh, and we'll look forward to recording the conversation you've just listened to tomorrow. Time is weird. Okay, I love you guys. Have a good October. Um, Happy birthday to my mum, which happens in October. Happy Halloween to all of you guys who like spooks and ghouls, and happy All Hallows to all of you guys who like traditional religious feasts. I'll see you in November.
1: Bye!